Cool, awesome. Um, yeah, well, it's really good to be back um, from holidays. Tam and I had a bit of a break over the last few weeks since Christmas, but it's nice to be back. And um, yeah, the last couple of years, um, sort of as the main Bible teaching throughout the year, we've been going through uh, a few chapters in Matthew. So a couple of years ago, we did a series called The Way through um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7. And then last year was The Kingdom, and that was over the next few chapters of Matthew 8 to 10, and, and Jesus demonstrating the kingdom. And I'm going to pick it up and keep going again this year through Matthew 11 to 13, and I've called this series The Man. Um, and basically, the, the way was about Jesus teaching, and the, 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 the kingdom was all about Jesus demonstrating the kingdom. And this next section in Matthew is really about the fact that people are having all different responses to Jesus, uh, all different responses to this man. And the, the key sort of question throughout these passages is, who is Jesus? Because people are kind of still making their minds up about him. And as you read through Matthew, Matthew knows who he is. Like Matthew starts his gospel with, this is the Messiah. And, and even this passage um, that we're going to look at, Matthew calls him the Messiah. But, but in the story, lots of people are still confused about Jesus. And they're, they're still making their mind up about him and going different ways. And then Jesus will actually then go on and tell parables about the fact that there's these different responses to him. So we're going to look at all of those things over throughout this year. Uh, we'll sort of break it up into chunks. And, and I suppose the, the, the invitation for us is to consider that there are lots of different responses to Jesus. And, and what is our response? Who, who is this man? Who do we see him? And, and do we see him as he has claimed to be as the Messiah, as the Son of God? So... Um, yeah, basically just going to track through a little bit at a time. We're just doing these um, five verses today, uh, which starts with John and um, John the Baptist's response to Jesus and, and um, some of his struggle even in seeing who he is. So we're going to look through this um, this morning. I'm just going to pray and then we'll have a look at this, this passage. Yeah, we just thank you so much, God, for your, for your word. Um, thank you for your spirit that's inspired your word and and speaks it to our hearts, Jesus. We just thank you for your presence and your life and your death and resurrection. And yeah, just as, as we hear your word, Lord, as we meditate on it, and we'll just speak into our hearts, um, just connect with our lives. Um, yeah, just bring what you want to say into each of our hearts, Lord, to the surface and, and help us to hear you and respond to you and help us to see you as you are, Jesus, we pray. Uh, we just give this time to you in your name. Amen. Okay, so... Um, yeah, let's have a look. This is John's response to Jesus. Obviously, G earlier in the story, John baptized Jesus. He, he was announcing Jesus coming. This is a little bit further along, um, and we'll read through from Matthew 11. This is verse 2 and 3. It says, When John, this is John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So, like I said, it's just a real quick backstory. John is Jesus' cousin. Um, you sort of sometimes hear the story of John's birth, even at Christmas, which we just celebrated. Um, and John's ministry was pretty intense. He lived in the wilderness. He, he, he ate crazy food, and he had a message of repentance. So he was calling people to change, and then he baptized them. It was a renewal movement and actually gained a lot of traction. So people would go out into the wilderness. They would be baptized. They would repent. He also had a quite strong message of judgment, um, particularly against the religious establishment and the Pharisees. The Pharisees came out one time earlier in Matthew, and John is pretty harsh with them. He talks about how they're going to be cut down, basically, and the, the, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to sift people like, like wheat. 
So John's baptism, John's ministry was all about fire and repentance and power, and and he was looking forward to this coming one who would. um, I think it seems like that's kind of what he expected the Messiah to be doing as well. He talks about the Messiah baptizing with fire as well. So John meets Jesus and 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 recognizes him for who he is and baptizes him, but then. The story goes on, and, and John gets in trouble for calling out uh, one of the kings, King Herod, um, who's an Israelite, but he basically steals or kind of draws away his brother's wife and ends up marrying his sister-in-law, and John calls him out for doing that, and you're going to get in trouble if you do that to a king, and John gets in trouble, and he ends up in prison, and now John's in prison. And it's interesting, because John was waiting for this coming one, who was Jesus, but now Jesus has come, and John's in prison. And it's probably not what he expected. And also, he probably expected when the coming one, the Messiah, was coming, that it would, he would come with power and with fire and with confrontation, and he would come with judgment and deal with the corruption. But Jesus wasn't doing this at all. Jesus, at least not yet, Jesus was, in some ways, compared to that, doing somewhat seemingly insignificant, humble acts uh, Jesus was just having meals with sinners, and uh, he was healing people, but he was healing insignificant people, and he wasn't in Jerusalem where the center of power is. He was over in Galilee, kind of far away, and and then uh, uh, with all that as well, John's in prison. Like, like if anything, when the Messiah comes, the, the one who was the herald shouldn't be in prison. Uh, so it seems like, and, and then there's already been some other problems, and um, misunderstandings with John's disciples and Jesus as well, even around fasting, and, and, and we looked at that last year. So it seems like maybe Jesus is not really fulfilling what John was expecting. Um, on this, Barclay says this, um, it may be that John was thinking, when is Jesus going to start on the action? When is he going to blast his enemies? When is the day of God's holy destruction to begin? It may, well, well may be that John was impatient with Jesus because he was not what he expected him to be. And it's interesting, but we might experience similar feelings or thoughts when Jesus isn't doing what we might expect. Or maybe even when we read about what he did. Again, we might not expect that that's what someone would do to to save the world or to be God coming to earth. And when Jesus is not doing what we expect him to do, maybe in our lives or in our society or or in his, in his life, what he teaches, or it doesn't fit what we expect, maybe sometimes we might also become discouraged and face doubts. Because if we expected something strongly, but then it's not happening the way that we thought, it's normal that that would be destabilizing, that that would cause us to question our assumptions that we had and think that maybe um, things are not quite as we thought they would be. And that's even more difficult when we're also in a place of suffering. Um, if it's related to pain or loneliness or isolation, that can be incredibly difficult. Like for John, is in probably like a dungeon of some kind. He's used to being out in the wilderness, in the desert, in the open area, and now he's away from the action. He's in a dungeon. He may not even really know what's going on. It actually kind of is it's pretty normal. You'd think it kind of makes sense that he would maybe start to struggle a bit. And it's interesting because... I think it's really encouraging that this is even in the Bible, because in, in some ways it shows us that it's actually, it's okay to experience doubts or discouragement. It's actually okay. 
And if you're experiencing them now, I just want you to know, it's actually, it's okay. Um, if you experience them in the past or in the future, it's actually, it's okay. And it's probably going to happen at some point that, that all followers of Jesus in some season will face seasons of doubt and seasons of discouragement. It's encouraging, though, because Scripture just talks honestly about it and even talks about great people of faith in the Bible. It, the scripture, scripture is just honest about the fact that they have struggles and doubts, even like John the Baptist in this, this story. The, the Bible just tells it honestly. Um, and there's multiple people in the Bible who face seasons of doubt and struggle and discouragement. Um, John the Baptist is compared to Elijah, and Elijah faced this as well. Elijah was powerful and strong, confident, called out, false prophets, and then not long after is depressed and questioning and doubting and wants to die. Like, like he had big highs and big lows. And um, Paul also faced seasons of struggle and deep discouragement. In 2 Corinthians, he, he talks about it. Um, we know Jesus' story even in the garden um, and on the cross. So the Bible just is honest, the fact that, that there are ups and downs and struggles in faith and in our journey with God. But that doesn't necessarily make it easy because doubt and discouragement can be incredibly hard, can be incredibly lonely uh, and difficult place. And even if we're not in an actual prison, sometimes it can feel like being in a prison or being in darkness. Um, I've had a few uh, experiences of doubt and just discouragement and, and questioning, but one um, significant one was when I was at Bible college and just had an experience that shifted my thoughts on a whole lot of things. And for a while, I was really sure that this is what Christianity was about and this is what it looked like and this is what my theology was and this is my approach. And I was really confident on it and, and quite sure about it and then had an experience that just didn't line up with that and made me question it, and I kind of thought, well, actually, no, I was actually wrong about a whole lot of stuff, and actually, the way that I was thinking about things weren't quite right in accordance with what Scripture says, and, but that experience made me start to think, well, I was so sure about that, and then I thought I was wrong. What else am I wrong about? Maybe I'm wrong about everything. Like, how can I know anything? And kind of just went this, down this deep path of, how do you know anything? Like, like I could think this is true, but maybe it's not, and, and just what if it's not? And just this deep deep path of doubt and was quite dark and painful, especially when we're talking about beliefs that relate to the whole of life and eternity and who we are and who God is, to not be sure about those things or to be questioning them, the very foundation of what we put confidence in, that can be a very difficult thing. But at the same time, it's okay. <laughs> it's actually quite normal to go through experiences like that, often, like that experience I had actually makes sense. When, when, when things that you're sure about are questioned, it makes sense that that leads to some discomfort and destabilizing. You can't actually control whether it happens. It, it, you might have an experience that you think things are like this and then it's different. You can't control that. It might happen. You can only control how you respond. And again, I think the encouragement in Scripture is that the best way to respond is to be honest about it. It's not to be fake. It's not to fake it and just keep going, but be honest, at least with yourself and at least with God, because he, he knows, so it's okay. You can't help it, but you can choose how you respond and how you engage with those seasons when they come. And we even see this in John. I'll just read that passage again. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, 
he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? See, John humbly, very humbly, takes his question to Jesus. He has a question, he's honest about it, and he takes it to Jesus. And it actually means he, he's in prison, so he actually has to share it with his followers as well, which is quite a humble thing when you think about it. John had just proclaimed strongly, like, this is the man, and now, now he's saying, actually, go and ask him, are you the one? Like, <laughs> like it's, that would be quite a humble thing to do. And I think it's not that John fully doubted, but maybe that he was just questioning, needed some assurance and needed some confidence. And I think he definitely knew God was working through Jesus, but was not sure maybe he got the timeline wrong or something like that. So you see, it's actually, it's okay to experience doubts and discouragement. But when we do, we can bring your doubts and discouragement to Jesus. It's actually an invitation to take them to him. And John does it. He, he takes his question directly to him. Are you the one? He just asks him. Um, and again, Scripture encourages us to do that. The, the Psalms are full of people who bring their questions and complaints and difficulty and discouragement directly to God and have very frank conversations with him about those things. And you can do that. He, he wants us to do that. He wants us to come to him in those places and bring our honest concerns and our questions and our doubts to him. As the same, I think, the church and Christian community needs to be a place where you can bring your honest questions and doubts and share them and be accepted and be told it's okay and have space to work through those as well. Because the worst thing that you can do in seasons of doubt and discouragement is run away from God and run away from church and just run away from everything and, and, or keep it to yourself. The best thing you can do is just be open and honest and then bring it to Him, bring it to others, engage the season. Don't just tear down. Doubt, doubt is a tearing down thing. It's, I thought this was right, but it's wrong. You sort of tear down beliefs, but there still needs to be a seeking and a rebuilding and a building up, a seeking of the truth. But we can bring honest doubt and emotions to him. You can sh- hopefully have safe people that you can share them with. Um, some people who won't just like simplify it or won't just tell you to snap out of it or won't just give simplistic answers, but who will listen, who will help you engage through the dark seasons because God is often at work in deep ways even in those dark seasons. So if you have doubts, you can bring them directly to Jesus or bring them to his followers. You, have, you, can, you can seek him in those places like John does. He goes and asks, are you the one? Then we see Jesus' response, how he responds to John. And I, I, part, part of the reason why it seems like it's okay to doubt, it's just Jesus' gentle, kind response. Jesus does not get upset at John at all. Um, this is how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, to his disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. So Jesus gives a report to be given to John, and the report is about what is happening, what is going on. And partly that might be because maybe John didn't really know what was going on necessarily. Maybe he'd heard things, probably lots of people saying different things. He needed a real report of what what actually is happening out there. He's in prison. He doesn't know. but So he needs a report of what is happening. But maybe part of it is also, maybe John's 
too focused on what's not happening. He's focused on what Jesus is not doing. Maybe he expected Jesus to come and cut down the, the religious establishment and bring the fire and bring the judgment. And Jesus is not really doing that. But Jesus says, well, this is what I am doing. These are the things that are happening. And it seems like these aren't really things that people were expecting the Messiah to be doing, the things that Jesus is doing. Jesus is not matching people's expectations. And that's partly why in these chapters of Matthew, people are really confused and they're trying to figure out what he's doing because he's not doing what they expected. They were more focused on political confrontation and, and coming as a king and, and, and bringing judgment. Um, but the interesting thing is Jesus' response to John shows that Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. He, he is in line with the prophecies about the Messiah. And in a sense, he's, he's inviting John to reconsider his expectations. Um, when Jesus is listing these things that he's doing, the, the healings that are happening and it's actually a, a quote and a reference to Isaiah 35, uh, which, which is pointing forward to the Messiah. These are some verses from this chapter. It says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He'll come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout, for joy. So Jesus is referencing verses and, and other verses, particularly in Isaiah as well, but they're not necessarily how people understood them to happen or not necessarily the timeline that they thought it would be. But Jesus is in effect saying to John, yeah, I am. Like, are you the one who is to come? Yeah. Like, look at what's happening. It's actually in line with Scripture. And he, he goes on to say more, we'll look at next week, to, that, that he really is claiming to be the Messiah, but Jesus, in a subtle way, responds to John's question with saying, "Saying yes, I am," but he's also inviting John, in a sense, in his doubt and discouragement, to take a fresh look at Scripture, to take a fresh look at Jesus, because John wasn't maybe seeing what he expected, so he needed to look again and take a fresh look and actually see, well, actually, what Jesus is doing actually is in alignment with Scripture. It's just not the way that I thought it would be. So, too, us, when we are in times of doubt and discouragement, again, it's good to know that it's okay to engage with that season. It's good to come to Jesus, come to his followers, come to friends, and share those issues and questions honestly. But then there's an invitation in those seasons to take a fresh look, to, to come back to Jesus his person, his teaching, his life, and look at him again. And the good thing in some ways about doubt can be helpful because if we're believing things that are actually not right or they're actually misunderstandings of God, it's good to doubt them. It, it's, it's a good experience to say, actually, I was so confident about this, but it's, it's wrong. Like, that's good to recognize that it's wrong. And actually, sometimes in those seasons, there's, there can be great clarity and great opportunity to actually look more clearly and actually see what... Jesus just for who he is. An opportunity to come back to his person. Um, again, I've found this really important in those seasons. Um, those seasons of doubt have just driven me to him and to look more at him and who he is and even do things like reading big chunks of the Gospels. Uh, I have times of just like, just even just read through a whole Gospel in one go. It might take like an hour or two or just read through like 10, 15 chapters and just be immersed in Jesus' life and come back to who he is and take a fresh look at him. Um, as well, there's opportunity 
to take a fresh look, not just at his word and his teaching, but maybe even in prayer and in reflection, take a fresh look at our own lives, because maybe there's things that we're expecting that God should be doing something in a certain situation, or, or maybe that we're experiencing some suffering, and we think, this is not what I expected God to allow or to let happen, and there's an opportunity to take it to him, but then take a fresh look even at our own circumstances and say, well, God, I expect you to do this, but you're not doing it. Instead, maybe say, well, what are you doing? How are you working in this situation? Don't just focus on what he's not doing, but the fact that he is working, that he is present. There's an opportunity to take a fresh look when we are disillusioned. Because being, being disillusioned can be good, because the whole idea of being disillusioned is that you dispel your illusions. And we don't want to live in illusions. We don't want to live fake in our faith. We want it to know the truth. So if there's things that are actually, well, actually, I thought that maybe if you thought that the church was perfect and it was awesome and it was always going to be amazing and you realize it's not, you become disillusioned, but it's okay, right? Like, that's not the expectation of the church. The church is full of problems and issues and people with faults and imperfections that God is working through. And actually, that was an illusion that it should be perfect. To have that dispelled is a good thing. We come to realize the truth. So the opportunity to take a fresh look at him in those seasons. It's so interesting, though, as well, this is the last phrase that Jesus gives to John, because he, he lists these things that he is doing, which are in a fulfillment of prophecies in Isaiah, and then the last line of what Jesus says to John is, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I thought it was so beautiful. It's this, this gentle challenge to John that, yes, he acknowledges that Jesus is not doing what he expected, right? Like, Jesus is, does not fit people's boxes, and therefore, that's causing people to stumble, and it's causing people to be offended. The, the ESV and some other translations say, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And, and Jesus is saying, well, yeah, it doesn't look like what you thought, but there's a blessing in trusting me. This is an invitation to trust Jesus and the way that he's going about the kingdom and not be offended, particularly by its weakness and by the insignificance of what he appears to be doing in this story, right? Like, like perhaps John was thinking he needs to be doing more powerful things, dealing with the structures of society. Jesus is just healing insignificant lepers and, and people and just hanging out with... Like, doesn't, it seems weak compared to what he was looking for, but often that's how Jesus works. And there's a blessing to trust him and not be offended when he's doing things in what we would consider the wrong way round, but which will often be the case because his kingdom is upside down. So he'll often be doing things in ways that would or could offend us or cause us to stumble. But when there's a temptation to offense or when we're experiencing discouragement or doubt, it's actually an invitation to go even deeper in faith and recognize that actually what this is about is trusting Him. We're not about putting our confidence in our expectations or our own theology or our own understanding of God. This is all about putting our trust and confidence in Him and what He's saying and what He's doing, even if it cuts against what we would think that should look like. So in a place of doubt and discouragement, particularly, we take it to him, we take a fresh look at him, and then there's an invitation in those seasons to trust him more deeply. There's an encouragement to receive that invitation to trust him more deeply. 
that was my experience of that, particularly that season I mentioned before of, of doubt. Um, it was quite a dark place of just how do you know anything's true? How can you have confidence in anything and be, be sure and just questioning all things? And ultimately just got to a place of needing to look at Jesus and, and Jesus' life and the reliability of history and, and, and the, the documents that we have and just sort of questioning some of the apologetics around that. But then even then, with all those answered questions, it ultimately just came down to the place of Jesus asked me to trust him. That's it. <laughs> Am I going to trust him? And just came to this place of I believe him and I trust him. And sure, they could be wrong, right? Like there's, there's a risk in that. You have to trust. You don't know 100% for certain. There's faith is involved. You can't stand back and be like, yep, this is exactly right. Now I'll jump in. Jesus invites us to jump in. And as we walk with him, we gain more and more confidence that he is true. And that was where I got to. And that, that ended up becoming and still is a real foundation for my faith, that, that ultimately when it all comes down to it, I choose to base my whole life on Jesus. I believe who he is. I believe that what he said is true, and therefore he is Lord. Therefore, he is the center of everything, and I trust him with everything. And that's a faith step. And that ultimately can be the, the, the outcome of these seasons, is that we actually realize life doesn't work by just our own boxes and expectations. It actually, the invitation is for it to work by trust and faith in Jesus. Ultimately, we don't hold all the truth. We don't have it all figured out. We're invited instead to trust that He does, to trust and follow Him, to let Him be our guide, to see things His way, even when it cuts against what we would expect. And there's ways that Jesus might cut against um, every culture and in our society, in our culture. There's, there's things that Jesus teaches that there's a temptation to be offended by when he says that he is the one way. Or even as we had communion before, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus is life. There's no life anywhere else. Like, like Jesus, some of Jesus' sexual ethics are offensive to our society. The fact that he's Lord and he calls us to take a cross, there's a temptation to be offended by that or to stumble at that. But he says, blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. Blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. It's this gentle invitation to trust him, to trust him in that place. So if you're in that place, or when you go through a season like that, know that it's okay. It's okay to experience doubts and discouragement. You can be honest about it. God knows already. Faking it doesn't help. It's good to be honest, but we still stay engaged. Bring your doubts. Engage with them. Perhaps even write them out, look into them, question your doubts even, and doubt them. <laughs> Bring your doubts to, and discouragement to Jesus. Pray, ask him, seek help from others. There's an invitation that season to take a fresh look at him, see more clearly perhaps, and receive the invitation to trust him more deeply. Just as we finish, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Maybe the band might want to come back up. Um, I just got a couple of questions even just after today. Maybe you might even like to just think about yourself or um, you could discuss in your home group. I'll, I'll post them on the website a little bit later. Um, but just some reflection, maybe even just to reflect what has been your own experience of doubt and discouragement in your faith. Um, have you experienced clarity and the deepening of faith in those experiences? Often those experiences are incredibly dark but then become incredibly foundational for the, for the journey forward. And another question, in what ways might Jesus 
be causing you offense at the moment? What does it look like to trust him and receive the blessing of not being offended? Maybe he's not doing something you'd like or he's calling you to something that you don't like. What ways might he be, there might be a temptation to be offended and how could you trust him in that place? So I'm going to pray and then then we're going to sing and worship. Yeah, Father, I just thank you that you are God and and King and, and you desire to lead us into truth and genuine, authentic relationship with you, Lord. Just thank you that you don't call us to be fake or to pretend. God, thank you that you can handle our struggles and even delight in us being open and honest and raw with you. God, we want to believe you from our hearts. We want to know you deeply and trust you more. Just particularly pray, Father, for anyone in our congregation, anyone listening who is in a dark place of doubt, discouragement. Just pray for your spirit um, to manifest your presence in that place, Jesus. We just thank you that you are there. You're present in those places and often you're working in such deep ways, doing something deep down in the foundations of our heart that is for the future. And Just pray for courage and faith to stay engaged, Lord. Just pray for others, God, who have struggled through doubt and given up. Just ask for your work in that place, God, to draw them back, to see you afresh by your mercy and by your grace. And we thank you, Jesus. We just get to trust you and live with you. You're good, you're kind, you're worthy. And we just honor you. We just want to worship your name. Amen.